0: Um, so really, you know, that's kind of why being a professor, while it was interesting and it was cool to try out, I realized that it wasn't for me, but not to say that it wasn't a very interesting field and in what it affords for those who are into it. I think they love it and good for them, you know. <laughs> uh,
1: I think this is really important part, especially for, because I, we had discussion about that uh, last uh, month. But, uh, how you mentioned the PhD program. And your experience, I think it's just still, yeah, not really uh, deployed many programs. So how do you think we can deploy more something like entrepreneur PhD? So instead of spending four or six years and same problem, and sometimes it's just, you know, this issue here. And some people, I think, so years ago, few people suggested just have PhD program one year only, not three years, four years, five years. So from your experiences, If you can tell us about how we can deploy entrepreneur PhD, so we have a problem and you can't have it in in the phases to start a startup or a company, because I think that's something we don't speak about that. That's, I think that's your experiences. If you can tell us how we can deploy that for the first step.
0: Well, I think it's a tough question, right? Because first of all, higher ed for better or for worse likes doing things the way they've always done it. And so I think there's a, a fundamental question that departments and programs have to address of you know what do they see themselves as and what are they looking for? And are they willing to adapt? Um, and I think you know, my answer to that is look at the data, look at how many of your graduates are staying in, in academia versus going to industry. And there's some great papers on there about like, if creating a PhD student is the equivalent of giving birth only one of your PhD students could ever replace you. And the average faculty member in their career graduates around eight PhDs. We're not seeing exponential growth in higher ed in terms of number of faculty. So, what are you going to do with all of these people? And the answer is they're going out into industry, they're getting jobs. So, in my opinion, and what I think, the way I interpret the data as, I think it's important that we start looking at adding a mindset to the skill set that we're giving these students. So I think on the one hand you have the traditional PhD program, but encouraging those students, like at Lehigh, we had a, a certificate in technical entrepreneurship, where you could, as a mechanical engineering student in graduate school, take some graduate classes in intellectual property, in integrated product development, and things like that. Um, so I think that you know the the so- softer approach is stay where you're at add mindset. You know, there was there's been talks, at least in our program, of do we add technical writing to the graduate program? You know, things like that to really soft skills and skill set to complement mindset, because it's really those two things that are needed to succeed. And then I think the opposite extreme is what you know I created, I call it entrepreneurial minded dissertation. And I think the key to that is the separation of funding from intellectual pursuits. Right. And I mean, I think that there are those NSF fellowships and things like that. But in a lot of ways, even those seem to be that the student ends up working for a faculty member, doing what the faculty member says. And I think, I don't know if it's necessarily designed that the the project is driven by somebody else, if the funds are tied to that student. And it's, I think, a lot like Right now, you know, we're running an, an early seed stage, uh, pre-seed company, right? And I'm dealing with angel investors. And what sets angel investors apart from institutional and venture capitalists is, for the most part, a lot of early stage angels invest in the person. They believe in me and what I'm going to do. And so while, you know, we talk about what, what the flex spot and our company is going to grow to, the first money in was because they believed that funding me would be a benefit and i think that that model is the same thing essentially as an entrepreneurial minded dissertation where funding this student to follow their pursuits because you're going to get so much product more productivity out of somebody who's truly passionate about what they're doing and driving their destiny than somebody who's slugging through a day job and There are checks and balances. You know, I'm a firm believer in general exams and uh, boards for PhDs and that you need a rigorous committee and that whole concept of the check and the balance to ensure that this work is meeting the standard that's necessary. But if the definition of a PhD is the world's leading expert in your little sector of knowledge here, well, that definition could be applied to anything that somebody deep dives and pushes human understanding on. Um, So I think from a department standpoint, teaching assistantships and all of that, at least from my understanding, and I I just have a very siloed view from my upbringing, but thinking about rather than TA ships being either bridge funding for faculty between grants or being, um, shall we call it, uh, signing bonuses for recruiting a graduate student to great, you get the first semester free while you're shopping around to see what you're gonna go do for your graduate career, thinking about using them as a tool for recruiting students. And I think it's a big opportunity to recruit non-traditional graduate students where if your metrics for the TA ships and really enabling that free thought is, okay, you need a 4.0 from a great school and great GREs and stuff, well, maybe there's the the slackers like me who on the metrics didn't necessarily hit the boxes there. But if you let us free in our own little entrepreneurial minded worlds, you know, we're going to do good things. And it's a way I think that we can broaden our footprint.
1: hmm. I think this is a really excellent point. I think also, Matt's related to uh, the risk and ideas, and that's something we discuss a lot of time. That you, in, in academia, and in the publication, and sometimes if you have a risk, risky idea, not incremental work, it reduces the chances to be reviewed or also get access funding. And I think that's something. Also, I think, yeah, still we can't go for just, yeah, as you as you do. You know, you let your mind go and you have new ideas and just. So I think that's also something. Yeah, still.
0: Yeah. And I think with risk and a lot of, um, you know, the metrics that we use to measure both undergrad, grad, you know, research and faculty. So both the graduate student and the faculty members work. Right now, it's a lot of dollars brought in, papers sent out and students graduated. But I don't know if those metrics really measure what at least I believe to be most important, which is the impact of that work. Right. And what's in my opinion, what's the point in publishing a paper if the only four people who read it were you, your grad student and the two reviewers, right? Is that actually impactful or is it, you know, thousands of views on a YouTube video describing your work that people can implement or a textbook that you published, based on your work. And it's now the standard in five schools. Well, that's not a peer reviewed textbook in the traditional sense, but is it peer reviewed that all these faculty members had all the McGraw Hill catalog and they chose your book? So that must mean that they agree with what was written in that book. That sounds like your peers reviewed what you did to me. So I think it, it takes a willingness to to step a little bit outside the comfort zone and see what happens. Um, but you know, it is a change. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, you said really excellent point. But
1: I'm curious about the, the stepping from uh, from your comfort zone when you are a professor and now you're starting Flex Robotics. So this, I think this part was challenging for you. I don't know when you start something, there's a stigma that you're leaving academia and you have new ideas like what you, what you try to do now in Flex Robotics. So how this transition for you is a challenge because I think many people, are not willing to take this kind of a challenging or it's, it's, it's not easy. No, so it's not. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell us more details about that. You need something, you figure out that you want to start, start.
0: Right. So I think what, I mean, my story really flex solutions, um, evolved out of my graduate work. So one of the benefits of the way I did my PhD, where my funding was tied to teaching, I paid for the research, through a company at the time was called Impossible Incorporated LLC. You know, I always wanted a company called Impossible Incorporated. And I paid for the work through economic development grants because we were developing at the time, the goal was I was a contractor. And every time I would renovate a house for the guys I was working for, they would forget to run a wire. And I was like, this sucks. So I'm going to run a wire through walls without a mess. I'm going to invent a robot to do that. And then that's going to be my doctoral work. And one of the great benefits of, at least at Lehigh, based on the way that I set up the program, I own the patents out of it, not the university. And I think you, many people would be surprised. You know, my general advice for everybody is read the directions. If you go on your school's technology transfer website and read the, the rules and regulations, they should be spelling out based on all these criteria. A lot of times it's who funded the work. Right? Was the university paying for your mind to think about that? Well, then the university owns that. If the university was paying for your mind to do something else, well, and then you did this on the side, then you probably own that, but you should read the rules. Um, and so you know, my time at higher ed was doing, there's kind of the two You have the research and the development. So when I was in academia, it was big research, little development, figuring out the technologies I would need to build a one inch diameter robot that could climb through a wall and drill through things and and have all these sensors. So I had to develop a lot of technologies. Um, and you know, we have the patents to show it now, inventing the first true cylindrical joint, this ability to extend and rotate. And how do you implement that? And so, you know, my time in higher ed was figuring out the how, and then it got to the point in which the technology had matured. And so it was time to commercialize. And so, um, I kind of hit hit a decision point in my career in higher ed where I could continue on the trajectory I was on, which would be towards a much higher leadership role, running a much larger program, more on an administrative side, which would basically mean putting my building aside and put the robot aside. Or I could leave higher ed, leave a salary and go out on my own and do it. And for me, it was an easy decision. But for many others, I know it's not as clear cut. But, um, you know, there's a famous uh, late ski movie producer named Warren Miller, and he always had a saying that he'd end every year's movie with, if you don't do it this year, you'll be another year older when you do. And, you know, it, it was the time for me. Uh, as my PhD advisor used to say, I have the union card. I have a PhD. So I could always go back to higher ed because I have the credential but I need to go and do what I'm doing now. So it is very nerve wracking to, to pack up your office and, and move it. I moved into a spare bedroom here in my house and day one you wake up and, uh, and no syllabus to write, uh, but also here's how much money's in the bank account. We need to, to figure out the business side of this, the, the questions of, you know, what are we doing? Who are we doing it for and why do they care because I, I think like so many of my colleagues um we had a great technology looking for a problem which uh if you're familiar with the nsf's icor that's its whole existence is taking these great technologies that faculty members created and figuring out how to transfer them i mean in the nsf's mind from icor to sbir to business but really how to find that golden product market fit for these technologies.
1: That's, that's uh, I think very very interesting story. Yeah.